and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we're, we share things uh, that have made the Scriptures become more real to us because we believe that there's a lot of power to be gained from the Scriptures and it becomes more powerful when we recognize how real it is and we can uh, apply it to our lives better that way. I'm the host, uh, Kerry Mielstein, and today we're doing a short cast on uh, the first part of the book of Samuel. Not, not the first couple chapters. We covered that last week in 1 Samuel 1 through 3. Um, and then we get chapters four through seven that really aren't covered in the reading. And in fact, we're going to cover a number of things in the upcoming podcasts uh, for things that aren't covered in what Come Follow Me has you read. And the reason we're doing that is because there's a lot of great storyline. I'm not blaming the Come Follow Me guys. They, they had us just like really get into Genesis and Exodus into the Torah, which is important. We really have to understand that. Well, really, Genesis in the first part of Exodus is where we spent months, literally, uh, and that's good because we can't understand anything else if we don't understand that foundation and the covenant that comes from it and everything else. Uh, but now we hit this super fast forward motion and we skip huge chunks of text. And yet there are a lot of things that you won't understand as well if you don't understand a couple of things in the text. And so I thought uh, perhaps I could just highlight a couple of things and some of the lessons that we learned from them. Uh, for you. We won't do a lot about the geography. Uh, we're not going to show pictures and so on. Most people are listening to this. If you do want to see something of the geography of this story and the stories that we're going through uh, on the YouTube channel, there are two. So it's the Scriptures Are Real YouTube channel, but there are two playlists. One playlist is the Scriptures Are Real, which are these podcasts. Uh, and the other is my Old Testament class videos. Those are hokey little videos I made for my class, but uh, I go through some maps and geography uh, that will be helpful uh, for a number of the chapters that we'll cover this week. This week we cover so much, it's even hard to believe that we're covering um, really all of Samuel, all of Saul, and the beginning of David in one week. It's, it's mind-boggling, so uh, we're going to see what we can do. We're going to start in chapter four. This is a story that often, or that, that we're not reading, as I said, but it's really, really important, and we, we need to kind of back up. You'll remember that... Um, in the first couple of chapters of Samuel, I talked about how the word of God was precious in those times, meaning that, the, and that says that for there was no open vision. So you have Eli, who is the judge and the high priest, but he's not really having great communion with God, because when God has told him to do something, he made some efforts that God told him to uh, stop his uh, children from abusing that priestly office and using it for their own gain, and he talk to them, but they didn't change and he didn't do anything about it. So it turns out when you don't act on inspiration and revelation that it, it, it ceases. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of who it was that said this. I think it was uh, President Hunter that said, um, when you fail to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost, those promptings will cease. That's an important uh, concept to learn. The converse is true as well. When you do listen to the promptings of the Holy Ghost, those promptings will increase. And we've certainly seen examples of that. President uh, Monson was a fantastic example of that. President Nelson, men who listen to the promptings and the promptings just keep coming and coming more and more and more. It's a wonderful thing. Well, Eli had uh, failed to act on this prompting, so the prompting was ceasing. So there wasn't really a lot of inspiration and revelation going on in Israel. And that's, uh, that's a hard thing. They are being oppressed, and they need direction. Uh, and, of course, we're going to see what kind of direction they really need, but they're hoping for military direction. We're going to talk about that as we go along. Now, remember how the reading for last week ended, which is the end of that First uh, Samuel chapter 3 and the end of that story of the call of Samuel 
Um, and where we said in verse chapter three, verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And hopefully you remember the discussion we had on that. And we talked about how all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. So again, Dan to Beersheba is a saying to say from, from sea to shining, shining sea, all of Israel, they know, oh, God is speaking again, not through Eli, he's speaking through Samuel. And the Lord appeared in Shiloh. That's uh, where you would expect him to appear. That's where the tabernacle is. But he had not been appearing in Shiloh because of all that was going on with Eli and his sons. But he appears in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself unto Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is uh, fantastic. By, by the revelation from God, God is revealing himself. It's to Samuel. And note that we get to chapter 4, verse 1. There, there's really no break. You should just not even pause. It's too bad there in two different weeks. Uh, well, chapter four is not in any week, so we could have kept going last week. Um, just keep reading. And the word of the Lord, uh, word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now they're listening to Samuel. Somewhere in here, Samuel is getting older and people are starting to listen to him. Uh, Eli is still alive at this point, but, but people recognize that revelation is coming to Samuel and that he is going to be their next judge and uh, someone who receives inspiration and revelation from God. So the word of the Lord is coming to all, uh, uh, the word of the, uh, Samuel. So everyone in Israel is listening to what Samuel says, but the problem is they're still also following some wicked leaders. Israel went out against the Philistines battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. Now Ebenezer has not yet received that name. It will get that name in chapter eight and we'll cover that. Um, in a uh, uh, podcast episode with my co-host Lamar. It's a fantastic one, I think. Lamar is so great at helping me see things I haven't seen before and, and just the discussion. I, I love this discussion that we had together on this topic. But anyway, so they pitched beside the place that would later be called Ebenezer in a few years. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. Again, you can look at where these places are uh, on some maps. Uh, it's easy to, to do that. Uh, in fact, um, uh, I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes to a, a BYU product where that can help you find these places on a map. In any case, plus in that YouTube channel of mine. Um, so the, is, the Israelites are going to battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and then Israel is smitten. And uh, about 4,000 men of the Israelites are smitten. And they say, wait a minute, why, why is this happening? Uh, why are we being smitten? And then they say, well, let's do this. Let's fetch the Ark of the Covenant out of Shiloh, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. They remember the stories of when Moses uh, and uh, Joshua would go to battle and the Ark was going before them. Now, this is partially because the Ark is, I mean, they're, they're moving all the time. They're, the tabernacle's not pitched, so the Ark has to go in front. But anyway, um, and they get mixed up. Right, they think, ah, it's this object. So the Ark of the Covenant is a holy object they were supposed to make, but it's become a kind of a false god for them at this moment. They feel like it's the Ark that allows them to win rather than keeping their covenant with God, and then God honors his covenant, which includes protection from their enemies and defeating their enemies. So it's very sad that they have gotten this mixed up, and they are, are misunderstanding uh, what really gives them victory. And so the Ark of the Covenant has become a false god rather than the covenant leading them to the true God. The people sent to Shiloh that they bring the Ark forth and the Ark comes and all Israel shouts with a great shout so that the earth rang again. 
right? They're so excited. You can imagine this just shocks the crowd and they, they go wild and they're so excited. And the Philistines hear it and they say, what is this noise? And then they find out that the ark has come and they are afraid because they remember what happened with the Egyptians. This memory, even though this is a few hundred years later, the memory is still there. And they know what happened. And they say, woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness. But then they say, be strong and quit yourselves like men, O Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as, you, as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines do fight. And again, God is not with Israel. And so they're, not, they're, they're, they're just left to their natural strength. So this isn't going to go well for them. Israel is smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a great slaughter for their fellow of Israel, 30,000 footmen. Now, again, the numbers may be exaggerated, but just think. They, they brought the ark because 4,000 had been slain, and now 30,000. So let's say we reduce by a factor of 10 or something. It's still huge amounts of, of deaths here. So the Philistines uh, fight, and, and they slay, and the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Oh, so terrible, right? The ark is lost. This has never happened before. Uh, the ark is lost, and those two wicked sons are slain. Now, note how this prophecy that the uh, house of Eli is ending is, is coming about right here. Because a man uh, out of Benjamin runs, and he comes to Shiloh. And Eli is sitting on a seat by the wayside. He's leaning back in his seat. And the man comes to the city and tells him what happens, and that uh, Phinehas uh, had died, and, and Hophni, his sons, um, and uh, the man said to Eli, I'm he that came of the army, and he, and he tells him what happened, and it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, that he, meaning Eli, fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck break, and he died. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, and she hears this and goes into labor, and she dies. Um, and, and it seems like the son uh, lives, but my guess would be just initially, my guess is that the son dies as well. I think that the idea is that all of Eli's line dies off, that there's nothing left. Uh, we, uh, that's assuming some things. That's reading some things into it. We don't have evidence for that. Um, the evidence points a little bit right here that towards um, the fact that the son Ichabod uh, lives, but I, I suspect that he doesn't live for long that all of the, really this point of the story seems to be that this is fulfilled and there is no line left for, for uh, uh, Eli. Um, and while that's very sad for Eli, and I think sometimes we don't give Eli enough credit. Uh, I, I, as we've talked about, as I talked about with my wife, um, she uh, highlighted how well he was not keeping the Abrahamic sacrifice, but he still actually did receive inspiration from God about Samuel being born, about Samuel being called, and he followed that inspiration each time. And so, uh, we have to give him some credit, but still, his family line dies out now. Now, this is a terrible thing for Israel that the ark has been taken. But God is not done letting people know that he really is God. He doesn't want people to think that this means that God is an inferior God to these other false gods, that they are real and they are more powerful. They need to understand, no, we lost because we didn't keep the covenant, not because God is not able. And so there's this amazing story that makes that clear. They, they take the ark of God and they bring it to Ashdod. So the Philistines have five major cities, and this ark is going to go to those five major cities. Um, three of them are on the coast, and two of them are a bit inland, right, kind of at the borderland between Israel and, and uh, Philistia. So it goes first to Ashdod, and they put it in the house of Dagon, so a temple of Dagon. That's what they're probably their main god, and they set it by the statue of Dagon. 
Dagon, uh, they wake up, Dagon, the statue of Dagon has fallen to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. And they think, well, that's not good, but they put Dagon back up. And then the next morning, Dagon has fallen and his head is broken off and, and the palms of his hands or his, maybe his whole hands have broken off. And it's only the stump, it says. The stump of Dagon is all that's left. So I think uh, what we, we me, that means is that most of the statue is broken off and that happens frequently with statues. That's what breaks off easily is the arms and the heads. We find all sorts of statues that are the, the trunk of the body, the torso and not the head and arms. Um, so that's worth uh, understanding that this is, it seems to have fallen and broken and people are going to read this as Jehovah is more powerful than Dagon. This symbolic action that we've talked about again and again and again and if uh, you haven't listened to my keys for understanding the Old Testament, go back to like one of the first podcast episodes that I posted uh, on here. There's a fireside I did for my ward on keys to understanding the Old Testament, and you can uh, go through and listen to that part about symbolic action. In any case, um, so Dagon is, seems to be conquered, and there are other bad things happening. Um, the, the people of Ashdod are smitten with emrods, uh, and we don't know exactly what emrods are. We're going to find in some of the other cities that they are smitten with emeralds in their secret parts. We can make some decent guesses as to what the secret parts are. Uh, we don't know what emeralds are. There's something uh, that are painful and are a physical manifestation because they'll make a, a physical replica of it. Uh, people think tumors or boils or something like that, none of which do you want to have in your secret parts. And so this is bad stuff for them. There must be some other plagues as well because they make golden mice and mice are often a way of symbolizing plagues. Um, so there's bad stuff happening to them. So they say, you know what? We don't really want this ark after all. And so they send it uh, to Gath. And the same thing happens at Gath. Uh, they're smitten with a great destruction and they have emeralds in their secret part. So they send it to Ekron. Uh, so Ekron is just uh, in from Gath it's, uh, and a little bit south. It's actually uh, just if you where the Samson story takes place and you keep going out, you'll get to Ekron. And um, my wife actually excavated in Ekron and found a four-horned Philistine incense altar. That's the coolest thing anyone in our family has uncovered in archaeology. I mean, I've, I've, I guess pyramid, but I, I didn't uncover it, but I've done cool stuff with the pyramid. But my wife is a more cool archaeologist, so um, she uncovered this four-horned incense altar at Ekron uh, that is good evidence of the Philistine ritual presence there. But anyway, uh, it comes to Ekron, and uh, they say, wait a minute, this isn't going to be good. This didn't work out well for anyone else. Um, so they say, let's get rid of it. Let's just get rid of it and, and send it off. And so, and people are dying. And then it says at the end, and the men that died not were smitten with emeralds. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. So bad stuff is happening to all of them. And so the ark is with the Philistines for seven months. They just go through all this bad stuff for seven months. And they say, what should we do? Well, let's send it back to Israel. Uh, let's not just send it back. Let's send it back with gifts. So, uh, and they're remembering, you know, what uh, it took the Egyptians a long time to figure this out. That wasn't good for them. Let's see if we can figure it out quicker than that, uh, and know that Jehovah is powerful. So they make a new cart and they get some uh, milk cows uh, that had never been yoked before, and they they yoke them to this cart, and they they put the ark on the cart, and they put jewels of gold, uh, and they put these uh, representations of mice and emeralds. And uh, they send it towards Beit Shemesh. So Beit Shemesh is going to be the first city in this Sorek Valley that uh, you come to as you leave kind of Philistine territory. It's going to be the first city that you come to that's Israelite. So they just like uh, hook it up to the cows and say, yeah, and get the cows going. And they start going and they go straight 
towards Beit Shemesh. And so they get the Ark of the, the Covenant into Beit Shemesh. Um, now, the bad news is that there are some people who decide, hey, let's look and see what's inside the Ark. Now, you have to remember, the Ark is the holiest object in all of Israel. It is not considered to be of this world. It is considered to be of the next world. It is God's throne. It symbolizes coming into God's presence. Only one person, one day out of the year, is allowed to see the ark. It is so holy, so much like God, that only after scores of sacrifices and washings and anointings and sacrifices and washings and anointings can the high priest come that one day of the year and all of Israel is fasting so that everyone can be more holy and the high priest representing them is more holy than ever. The idea is that you have to be different than how we are now. You have to be more like God to come into God's presence. So then he comes into God's presence symbolically by coming to the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark of the Covenant has been uh, just showed up at their place. So just seeing it, I mean, that's not their fault. But when they look into it, that is basically saying, you know, we it's, it's blasphemy. They're taking upon themselves the power of the high priest without any of the things that are supposed to enable them to be able to safely come into the presence of God. And it turns out you cannot come safely into the presence of God without his help, which is what they were trying to do. It's a little bit like the Tower of Babel. And so this doesn't work out well for them. And if you've watched Indiana Jones, you know that this melts their faces and all sorts of other terrible stuff. So we're very sad for them that that happened. But, uh, but there's a powerful symbolic lesson that is taught that is important. It's worth teaching all of Israel this important lesson. And I'm sure that those Four men had a chance to repent in the next life. So they say, let's send this to Kiryat Yarim, and uh, they do that, and that's heading up towards Jerusalem, and it goes uh, there. Now, I think this is really uh, important. Samuel, we get in First Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, and Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Now, let's just talk about that phrase for a moment. Um, I, I once wrote a book uh, that I wanted to call, we've all messed up, but, uh, but the publisher decided that was not a good uh, title. And so they called it uh, return unto me. And the reason they titled it that is because as they read the book, they noticed how many times I ended up talking about that, because this is probably the most oft repeated plea from God to Israel that he says, dozens and dozens and dozens, I should count it's, it's probably 100 times, maybe more. Uh, where he says, either turn or return unto me, or he has one of his servants say, turn or return unto the Lord. Please come back, is what he keeps asking again and again and again. And we've said before in other podcasts, the question is not whether you're going to fall or not. We all fall. The question is, after you fall, do you get up and come back to God again? That's the only question that, that really matters in life. Will you keep returning to God every time you stray? That's the central question in many ways. And of course, the way we return unto God is through Christ. Let's not forget that in any way. But uh, we return to God through Christ. But the question is, will you keep doing it? Will you keep returning, repenting, however you want to put it? So, and note how he says, with all your hearts, it's got to be with your heart. It can't just be uh, going through the actions like, hey, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Or, hey, let's do our ministering this month. Or, hey, let's... Uh, go to this uh, trek or something like that. It's got to be a change of heart. That's why Christ needs to be involved, to change our heart. So we have to return to God, and he says, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. All right, so this is the thing. You've got to turn to God and get rid of the ungodly things. That's the thing that comes up again and again and again. Get rid of the ungodly things, replace it with godly things. 
Then he says, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, Lord and serve him only. See, the problem is they're serving both God and other gods. We're going to touch on that a whole bunch of times. If you will do all of that, if you will prepare your hearts and turn to God and serve him only, then, so this is saying, another way you could say this is, let God prevail in your life more than anything else. Make less time for the world and more time for Christ. These are the pleas that we get from our prophet. Then he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Baalim and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. So they listened to Samson. Remember how we didn't see this with, I mean, I said to Samuel, we didn't see this with Samson. We do see it with Samuel. It's a fantastic and wonderful thing. So the children of Israel put them away. And then Samuel says, okay, now that you've repented, he's willing to do something. He says, gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. So once they've repented, the prophet is going to pray for them. And they gather to Mitzpah, and they draw water, and they pour it out before the Lord, and they fast. And they say, we've sinned. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mitzpah, meaning he led them there. He starts to really lead them in all these different ways there. And when the Philistines hear that they've gathered into Mitzpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel hear it, they are afraid of the Philistines, but, and they, they cry to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. You may remember that I said Samuel is famous for the Lord hearing him and for hearing the Lord. And this is part of the reason why. That, listen to these uh, stories. Even the, the people in his day recognize God listens to Samuel. So please keep crying. So Samuel takes a lamb and he burns, offers it for a burnt offering. And uh, he cries into the Lord and the people hear him and the Philistines are coming as he's doing the offering. Now we need to remember this. We're going to come back to this in the story of Saul. Uh, the Philistines are coming and Samuel doesn't stop doing the offering for that. He's going to make things right with God before anything happens with uh, the, this battle, because he's trusting that God will fight the battle, not that they'll fight the battle. He feels like he can win the battle if he's sitting there doing the offering, not if he's out there leading in front of the people not doing the offering, All right? That's, that's going to be a stark contrast with Saul. In any case, Samuel offers the burnt offering and the Philistines draw near, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. Look at that. It wasn't Israelite and the Israelites and their great battles and their great warriors and so on even though the next thing they're going to do is say, please give us a king to lead us in battle. They don't learn their lesson, but it's because they're repenting and the prophet is praying and offering, then God just takes care of it for them. And then the men of Israel go out and they pursue the Philistines and spite them. Um, and then we get this great thing. Samuel took a stone and set it between Mitzvah and Shan and called the name of it Ebenezer. So this is when it gets its name. And that story of, of Ebenezer is the one that I pick up with, on, uh, with um, Lamar. But uh, we needed to do all of these things because, uh, and cover everything that we have because it helps us make more sense of the stories that uh, we are doing in Come, Follow Me. And there are some tremendously powerful lessons in here, uh, especially the idea of serving God truly, getting rid of whatever it is in your life. And you have to stop and think, and uh, what is it? it, it will, it, Lamar and I will discuss this a little bit and help you with this, but please stop and think, what is it in your life? that you are worshiping in addition to Jehovah and get rid of it and worship Jehovah only and trust in him and not in the ideas or the power of the world. And then God will fight your battles for you. That's beautiful and powerful stuff. Uh, so I hope that that allows this to become a little more real to you, the, these stories, these details of these stories, and also helps us make sense of some of the things that we'll cover in the next couple of uh, podcast episodes. We will probably have uh, at least four 
for this week because there's so much fantastic material. I hope you'll share it with your friends and uh, that together you'll work together to get rid of the Baalim and the Ashtaroth in your life and worship God only and make the sacrifices for God so that he can thunder on your behalf and that Christ can change your heart to follow him with all your heart. That's my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.